there, good man. What shoes have you found there? Comics Archaeology. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we continue our in-depth study of Conan the Barbarian, this month's comic book character of the month in celebration of Appendix N Month. I'd like to take a bit of a side street here and delve into the way in which Roy Thomas would connect with readers. Roy was very much the mentee of Stan Lee and learned an awful lot about reader engagement within the comic books. And Roy, taking the cue from Stan, started a letters section in Conan the Barbarian called the Hyborian Page. And this is where readers were encouraged to provide feedback on what they thought of the particular issue that had just come out or previous issues or the series in general. It was definitely what some would say today, a hype page or hype section where fans could express their enthusiasm for a series. Occasionally, they would write or publish, I should say, a critical letter that would come in, but that would have some constructive criticism and then be able to go back and address that in an upcoming issue so they could demonstrate that they were being responsive to the reader feedback. Well, with the Conan the Barbarian series, Roy had a very interesting challenge. If you'll recall, I had recounted earlier that Roy had a set of different challenges just trying to get the licensing to the Robert E. Howard Conan the Barbarian character as this licensing was managed by several different interests and entities and it wouldn't be until the literary agent would end up bringing all of those interested parties together to be able to pull off the licensing for the comic book. Now, they had been successful for a period of time in developing the novelizations of the short stories, these anthologies, if you will, to bring those to market. And of course, those have the now famous Frank Frazetta covers to them that really in the 60s, took Conan to new reader heights when the fantasy explosion in books and literature, Tolkien, Moorcock, you know, Robert E. Howard being rediscovered, was all occurring. So I'd like now to delve into the Hyborian page. And, and what makes the first one so special is that it was first seen in the second issue of Conan the Barbarian, and because there hadn't been an issue out yet, by the time this issue had to go to the printer, what Roy Thomas did was go out and send advanced copies of the first Conan the Barbarian issue and get influencers to provide write-ups, feedback, enthusiasm for the series, kind of to jumpstart it. But what is amazing are the choices that he made of who to go to. Some of these are luminaries, and I wanted to share those letters with you, and that's part one. Part two of this episode, I want to delve into 
Conan the Screenplay. And this is the introduction to the Horn of Azoth graphic novel that was the original story arc and concept for the Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas original script for Conan the Destroyer. And in that introduction, Roy goes in depth with respect to the journey that they had to take in order to finally get to that graphic novel, which I think is absolutely fascinating and provides, as you know, I'm big on rich context to then go ahead and provide the review in the following episode of The Horn of Azoth. So let's get started. First up, the Hyborian page. This is very much like the reader feedback sections of most Marvel comics. However, the focus now being on the comic book Conan the Barbarian in that series. The Hyborian page, mailing into care of Marvel Comics Group, 625 Madison Avenue, New York, New York, 10022. Special note, while this first issue of Conan the Barbarian was being written and drawn, scripter Roy Thomas, who doubles as Stan's associate editor and sometime busboy, found himself musing over just what some articulate fantasy fans, and professionals too, for that matter, might think of Marvel's first full-scale fling into the far-out world of swords and sorcery. The answer came in a flash. Why not ask them? But by the time full-color, stapled, and bound copies could be commented upon, the third issue of Conan would already be upon us. And Roy had this brainstorm of featuring a letters column in the second issue, don't you see? And so, sets of black and white proofs of the first issue were sent out to the kindly, cooperative, yes, even enthusiastic, souls whose names are inscribed below, and their candid comments follow the brief biological remarks below. First up, Harlan Ellison is one of the top writers in the science fiction field today. He collects Hugo and Nebula awards the way Marvel collects alleys. He is also, it would seem, one of the biggest Conan boosters this side of the late Robert E. Howard himself, or to let Harlan put it in his own inimitable way. People, surely he is a dream. It is simply too beautiful to believe we at least have the Sumerian in a pictorial form on a continuing basis. The world isn't like that. You just don't get your wish fantasies translated into material terms. And even though there will be readers who will say he isn't precisely as Howard envisioned him, even though his first adventure is not quite as compelling as, say, Red Nails, still, the love and care that went into this first comic appearance can only be taken as positive omens for Conan's long and lusty future. And if this isn't all some kind of cruel joke played by one of the dark gods, the Conan comic will flourish. And one day soon, we can expect to see a pictorial rendition of this incredible story opening in which Conan, crucified on the desert, wrenches the spikes from his hands to rescue the beauteous slave girl. We can only thank Roy Thomas and Barry Smith and Stan Lee and Dan Atkins for these treasures. Onward, men! Signed, Harland Ellison, Hollywood, California. Next up, 
Glenn Lord, perhaps the Conan fan supreme, is also literary executor of the Robert E. Howard estate, and the gentleman without whose kind permission there would be no Conan comic magazine. His own comments. Dear Roy, Barry Smith did a fine job with his artwork. The story, despite the obvious handicap of having to introduce Conan in particular and the Hyborian age in general, to the uninitiated came off very well. I think you worked in the background history quite well, and future issues should be something to look forward to. It's too bad that Howard didn't live to see his literary creation achieve its present popularity. I'll look forward to seeing your adaptation of his The Tower of the Elephant. It will be interesting to see how this story adapts to comic form. Signed, Glenn Lord, Pasadena, Texas. Next up, two of Roy's oldest friends in comics and science fiction fandom, and occasionally two of his and Marvel's severest critics are Don and Maggie Thompson, publishers of the comic book newsletter New Fangles and other comic art items. They generally give more than is bargained for, so when Roy asked for their comments, pro and con of course, he was hardly surprised to receive by return mail not one letter, but two. So, ladies first. Dear Roy, my comments on Conan number one won't be on the accuracy of fighting weaponry or winged demons aerodynamics. I'm simply a fan of Robert E. Howard and Marvel Comics, and I'm speaking as such. Possibly, Howard's basic elements were action, sex, and horror, just those elements which have to be considerably toned down in comic books. You've given yourselves quite a job. You have substituted a bit too much talk for some of these ingredients. The first half was a bit wordy and delayed getting into the situation. In fact, page six was totally superfluous and could have been thrown out, tightening the story considerably. And Barry Smith obviously hadn't yet caught the swing of the art. There were stiff and awkward figures, and the girl's proportions on the cluttered cover were strange indeed. But there was enormous promise. The story flowed into an impressive conclusion. The last half was extremely well handled, both in text and much of the art. Possibly, in fact, I'm prejudiced against much of the work in number one because... I've seen some of number two, and the promise seems to be greatly fulfilled there. What you come far already, what you must take from Howard is, obviously, overall, mood. If you continue to improve at this rate, you should have a certified winner very long. May Bast, keep your house free from mice, Maggie Thompson. And from husband Don, a reporter for the Cleveland Press, Roy Thomas. Kone number one is a good start, far better than I expected. I found it hard to imagine a sword and sorcery epic translated into the bloodless pages of today's code-approved comic books, but you have churned the trick. The book starts slow and wordy, but improves rapidly. By about the second half of the book, I became engrossed in the story and anxious about the end. Here you echo Howard. The introduction of the supernatural elements always picks up the pace and quality of his stories. Mood is the important factor to Howard, and you have caught that pretty well toward the end of the story. I would say that you can hold your head up when being compared to others who have written of Conan since Howard killed himself in 1936. 
you're not as good as Sprig de Camp, but the other imitators have fired worse than you. I hope you will maintain continuity, writing stories in between Howards, and doing occasional adaptations of R.E.H.'s originals from time to time. But aging Conan slowly and in a sequence instead of jumping from stripling to aging Conan. May Ra make his face shine upon thee. Don Thompson, 8786 Hendricks Road, Mentor, Ohio, 44060. Even before he helped launch his own fan mag alter ego, Rascally Roy was influenced by the science fiction fanzine Zero and its nostalgic series on the great comic book heroes. In fact, it is this series, including one article eventually contributed by Roy himself, that was gathered together in the long-delayed but increasingly imminent volume All in Color for a Dime, which was co-edited by Don Thompson and Dick Lepoff. The latter, a published author himself, had the following to say about issue number one. Dear Roy, many thanks for the advanced look at the first issue of your new Conan comic. I'd been looking forward to it for a long time and was quite impressed with the job that was done. Comics publishers have made a good many attempts to capture the verve and appeal of Conan-type adventure comics. The most comparable one I can think of was the thinly disguised Crom the Barbarian strip in Avon's Out of This World some 20 years ago. That was one written by Gardner Fox and drawn by John Yanta and wasn't really too bad, especially the writing. The artwork was slightly primitive, but when a lot of comics had primitive artwork in the 1950s, and some still do in the 1960s, at any rate, I enjoyed your new version, and I'm glad to see someone has created the rights so that Conan can't appear in his own identity rather than a disguise. I think that you went a little too heavy on the combat scenes, panel after panel, of guys bashing in each other's hands and slicing out each other's guts. It doesn't really do too much for me. I liked the mystical fantasy scenes better. The atmosphere came through pretty well, and I'd like to see heavier emphasis on the theme rather than the sock-bash-pow stuff in the future. But on balance, a nice job. My thanks again, and I'll look forward to seeing future issues. Signed, Dick Lepoff. Berkeley, California. Next up, from ailing but amiable author August Derleth, himself a longtime colleague and correspondent of such weird tales greats as Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft, came this brief but welcome note. Dear Roy Thomas, the first issue of Conan the Barbarian has just come in. I've gone through it at once, and I don't think that the book manages to catch admirably the spirit of the original. A credible Howardian Conan does indeed emerge in these pages. I shall be interested in watching his development in this medium. Good luck, August Derleth, Sauk City, Wisconsin. Ted White is our next author. He is a published fantasy author and in addition is editor of the two science fiction magazines, Amazing and Fantastic. As a longtime and knowledgeable comics fan, he had this to say. Dear Roy, Frankly, I was impressed. Both the art and the story were well above expectations. As you know, I've had mixed reactions to Barry Smith's earlier art. It seemed to me he concentrated too much on head and shoulders close-ups, dandruff and all, and too often left his panels without backgrounds. 
His continuity panel to panel also seemed uneven in the past. I'm quite pleased to see that he seems to have licked this problem with Conan. And if the pencils I've seen of the second issue are any indication, he has at least fulfilled his early promise as an important addition to the Marvel stable of artists. As for your own writing, I think doing great guns. This was obviously a story upon which you lavished considerable care, and I suspect a good deal of love. As an establishing story, it is several cuts above the ordinary, since it manages to weave a completely plotted story, as well as to give a foretaste of Conan's to come. Your attention to detail is fresh and remarkable, free of ori cliches of sword and sorcery writing which have so swamped us in recent years. I am not a rabid Conan fan in the original, but I expect to follow Conan the Barbarian closely in the months to come. Signed, Ted White, Brooklyn, New York. And that concludes the first Hyborian page from issue number two of Conan. This was a really interesting study of Roy Thomas going out to colleagues and peers within the science fiction, fantasy genre, comic book community, writers, artists, critics, and soliciting their unfiltered feedback. And it was really refreshing to see how candid they were in what they provided Roy with. Next up is Conan the Barbarian, The Horn of Azoth, the introduction, Conan the Screenplay, by Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway. This graphic novel didn't start out to be a graphic novel, or for that matter, anything in a comics format. It started life as a screenplay. In 1982, Edward R. Pressman, producer of the Universal film Conan the Barbarian, hired the two of us to script the second Conan movie to star Arnold Schwarzenegger. Roy, who wrote all Marvel Conan comics from 1970 to 1980, had been story consultant to Ed and director John Milius on the earlier movie. In the interim, Jerry and Roy together had written Ralph Bakshi's animated film Fire and Ice, which contained many Conan-esque elements and brought them to Ed's attention anew. The intended director of the second Conan movie was to be a newcomer named Roger Donaldson whose recent New Zealand films, Smash Palace, had been critically acclaimed in the U.S. Together with his actor-playwright colleague, Ian Mune, Roger journeyed to Hollywood, and under Pressman's direction, the four of us began to hammer out the elements of a plotline, and to have loads of fun with it. Along the way, the original Marvel Conan artist Barry Windsor Smith also brought to L.A. by Ed to do some breathtakingly beautiful concept drawings for the movie, even though they were not used for the final film. Ed's instructions were simple. He and Universal wanted Conan 2 to be a lighter PG-rated outing than the first movie, which they felt had been a bit too somber. They meant we eventually had to jettison certain of the artier ideas we had come up with, such as a Last Temptation of Christ-type-like climax years before Kazanetsky's novel was filmed, in which Conan thinks he's triumphed over Dagoth, only to learn that his victory and its aftermath have been a deceptive dream caused by his godlike foe. The result, when we two finally 
closeted ourselves with our new word processors was a screenplay called Conan, King of Thieves. Ed loved it, but there was a hitch. He decided to sell his rights to Conan to mega producer Dino De Laurentiis, and Dino, less familiar with Robert E. Howard's Conan, had his own ideas about the direction the second movie should take. The first of these, actually, was to change directors. Roger Donaldson flew off to New York to meet with Dino and discuss the screenplay, and returned to report that Dino had asked him instead to direct The Bounty, a remake of the twice-told tale Mutiny on the Bounty. Dino already had an authentic full-scale model of The Bounty built, you see, and it just happened to be lying around in New Zealand. Ergo, Roger vanished, along with Ian, from the Conan scene. Since Bounty, Roger's gone on to direct Cocktail with Tom Cruise. There followed lots of direct meetings between ourselves and Dino in the new producer's cabana at the famous Beverly Hills Hotel. The storyline was continually adjusted and overhauled. Plot elements came and went like substitutions in the televised soccer games, which Dino turned on at every lull in the conferences. The giant leeches, for instance, disappeared in a conversation with Dino, which he only half understood, since it was conducted in part through a translator. No bloodsuckers is the only part of it we really understood. No rats either. So the opening scene went, Dagoth himself was altered from a winged angel devil into a groundling monster because for whatever reasons, Dino didn't want to use any optical effects such as stop motion animation in the movie. All in all, about par for the course for the way movies are made, and who's to say who was right and who was wrong in a given situation? No one producer, director, writer, or audience can ever be quite certain whether his way should have worked out better on the screen than what was actually filmed. Once the movie plotline was basically decided and the characters all created, the casting began before a finished screenplay was already a fairly unusual situation. At one meeting with casting maven Jane Feinberg, Jerry mentioned that Grace Jones had been the model for the black Amazon called Zula and might be a good choice to play her. Not only was the rock star eventually given the part, but she turned out to be one of the brightest spots of the finished film. Soon afterward, Dino finally settled on Richard Fleischer as director. Fleischer, who in the 1950s had directed such action hits as The Vikings and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, brought his own ideas to the movie naturally and soon hired veteran Stanley Mann, the mouse that roared, as screenwriter. And so we were off the picture which was subsequently retitled Conan the Destroyer, and according to one published report, eventually did some hundred million in business worldwide, though a bit less than Conan the Barbarian had. After due arbitration, we received full story credit, while man got screenplay credit. This means that the Writers Guild West, which decides such things, felt that the story was basically the one we had done, even though some elements had been added and rearranged, and the dialogue totally rewritten. In addition, for the next year or so, we continued to get screenwriting assignments from people who read and liked our first draft of Conan 2 screenplay. That version was the one we'd show anyone since we felt our four later ones, like Destroyer itself, moved away from the direction we'd wanted the film to take. The question most often asked of us by film people who read that draft was, why didn't they film this version instead of the one they did? We could only shrug. That's Hollywood. 
Recently, Marvel editor Craig Anderson read the draft and had the same reaction. He suggested that since the original screenplay was so different from the finished film, we turn Conan King of Thieves into a Marvel graphic novel. Naturally to us, this was a labor of love, even if adapting a 130-page screenplay into a 62-page graphic novel required a bit of cutting here and there. So now things have come full circle. From Conan, King of Thieves, to Conan the Destroyer, to Conan and the Horn of Azoth, which is basically Conan, King of Thieves, with a few names changed to avoid confusion with Marvel's 1984 adaptation of the movie. All things come to him who waits sometime. Thanks, Craig and Dino and Roger and to Ed Pressman for having faith in us in the first place. This is one insightful introduction into this graphic novel. I absolutely love the candid nature with which Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway get into that odyssey that they had taken in writing that screenplay for Conan the Destroyer to eventually see it turned into this graphic novel by Marvel, the original, Conan the Barbarian, King of Thieves screenplay, to then become the Horn of Azoth graphic novel. And that will be our next review in celebration of Appendix N Month, and our comic book character of the month, Conan the Barbarian. Between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now, let me tell you of the days of high adventure. 